What happens when two dudes, one a retired Navy SEAL commander in Colorado Springs, and the other a hippie meditation teacher in New York City, get together to discuss living mindfully? That's a great question, because we don't know what will happen either. Raw, uncut, and unapologetic. Welcome to Men Talking Mindfulness with co-hosts John McCaskill and Will Schneider. Each week, we take an authentic dive into how mindfulness continually impacts our lives, deepens our relationships, and allows us to be emotionally alive. We filter all of our conversations through the man box, where we unpack how as men we are expected to act in society, how fighting the authentic human experience is exhausting and damaging, and how mindfulness can help. Now, on to the show. All right. Here we are, men talking mindfulness. Welcome to the show. I'm John McCaskill out in Colorado Springs, my brother from another mother, Will Schneider, out there in New York City. Today, we've got a special guest, Rhonda McGee. We're going to be bringing her up on stage here in a second. We're going to be talking about mindfulness and racial justice. Rhonda is a a law professor, mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher, and author of the inner work of racial justice. A great book. And I'm going to go ahead and bring Rhonda up on stage, go through her bio, and then we'll go ahead and jump into our normal grounding practice and the questions for the show. So Rhonda, again, great to have you with us. So excited. Welcome, Rhonda. Thank you for being here, Rhonda. Awesome. Thank (laughs) you. Beautiful to be with you. Great, great. Well, so Rhonda, I'm just going to read through your bio, and then Rhonda, you are called by some the mother of movement for mindfulness-based racial justice. You are a professor of law at the University of San Francisco, and you've spent more than 20 years exploring the intersections of anti-racist education. Uh, let's see, we, are you frozen there, Rhonda? Can you still hear us? I can still hear you. Okay. okay. We can hear you, but uh, it looks like you're a little bit frozen, but that's okay. We're just going to press on. So. Uh, mindfulness teacher, your practice innovator, storyteller, and thought leader on integration, mindfulness into higher, integrating mindfulness into higher education law and social justice. A student of a range of leading, I'm sorry, a, a student of a range of Buddhist traditions and a fellow of the Mind and Life Institute, you've served as an advisor to a range of leading mindfulness-based professional development organizations, including the University of Mindfulness Center. Massachusetts Center for Mindfulness. Wow, my game is off on reading this bio today. <laughs> Sorry about that. And the center. It's probably too many. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Well, I mean, that just speaks to who you are, everything that you've done here. Uh, so, yeah, I'll cut it short, but we're so, so excited to have you here with us, discuss your book, discuss racial justice and mindfulness. Uh, but before we do that, um, definitely want to jump into a grounding practice like we normally do. And, uh, and then we'll get into the questions. So again, honored to have you, and uh, I'll be honored to have you lead the, the grounding practice at the end. But before we do that, let's, uh, let's join together uh, for our audience. Go ahead and get comfortable, whatever that looks like for you. And if you feel comfortable closing your eyes, go ahead and do so. Otherwise, just soften your gaze and bring your attention very intentionally to your breath. Just notice the physical sensation of breathing, the rising and falling of your chest and diaphragm, the expansion and contracting of your belly, 
and the physical sensation of the air entering your body, perhaps through your nose, as you breathe in and leaving your body, perhaps through your mouth, as you breathe out. And then bring your attention intentionally to the physical sensation of sitting or lying. Feel the ground underneath your feet. Feel yourself rooted into the ground, into the earth. Feel whatever is supporting you underneath your legs, against your back. Feel the sensation of your hands resting wherever they may be. Take in the physical sensation of the air possibly passing over your body. Coolness or warmth. And then slowly bring yourself back to the breath. Noticing each breath in. and each breath out. And the physical sensations associated with that. And now, as you're ready, go ahead and start to come out of the practice Bring some movement back into your body. If you had your eyes closed, go ahead and open them on your time. And refocus your gaze if they weren't closed. And here we are again. Rhonda, thank you for allowing us to run through that grounding practice. Will and I both needed it uh, as we're a little bit anxious coming into the show. Um, we always are because it's live. <laughs> it's it's a little bit anxiety inducing, but also to have such a wonderful guest with us today. Uh, we are so excited. So that that anxiety was a good anxiety, but we're we're so excited to have you with us. Um, you could probably tell that I was a little anxious in reading that, <laughs> that bio. Yeah. But. Well, thank you so much, my dear. It's a uh... Of course, that energy, like you, as you say, the, the, the energy that we call anxiety, of course, has at its roots this sort of positive body, the, the sensations in the body of something mattering and, right. you know, being here for it and not knowing and being curious. Right. So right. as long as we're in that sort of that space of it, I really, really um, am honored by that anxiety. <laughs> well, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. <laughs> and I just want to name my my lighting is a little it just went a, a little dim here and I hope it's still okay for me. you look great you look great I can hear your voice Rhonda that's that's the key here but yeah. I mean, you, you, we can still see you too and you look great yes yeah and, and one of the things Will and I say is that the uh, the show is raw uncut authentic and unapologetic so <laughs> you know yeah. hey we're, we're, we live we're up blessed. to it every single show <laughs> every single show we live up to that <laughs> so true 
<laughs> so, hey, before we really get into the, the deep questions, Rhonda, and uh, again, appreciate your grace this morning in, in everything. But uh, when we get into the show, we're going to get into those deep questions. And I read your bio. But if we could just get into how you got to where you are now and how you got to doing what you're doing now. Uh, we'd love to hear that. Start with that. Sure. Um, well, let's see. The short story of it is, um, <clears throat> you know, I was born in North Carolina and became um, a lawyer uh, uh, after going to law school at the University of Virginia, came out to San Francisco to practice law and right away felt a little bit like a fish out of water on so many different levels. I'm starting a new job in a new profession um, and had uh, traveled across the country, of, of course. And, you know, and all that happens when you travel across this great country, right, in terms of just the different cultures and the different um types of, um, you know, encounters you might have. So I was in the space of like experiencing a lot of new, and yet I was aware of all of the deep trainings that I'd had, everything leading up to becoming a lawyer. Um, but in addition, as we recently kind of um, connected on together, I'd been trained as, a, as an army officer. Um, I'd been trained in sociology before going to law school. Uh, and all of that was beautiful training for, you know, engagement in the world in the conventional sense, but I really didn't feel that I had been given an opportunity to develop some of the inner resources for bearing up with all, you know, with all the things that can come with transforming your life in the way that I just described and doing that, let's just say also, you know, in the kind of body that I have, which is, for those um, who've never seen me or are for the visually um, impaired in some sense, I have a brown skin body and, um, and cisgender female, um, kind of petite, right? And so, you know, I've always, uh, you know, going through the world, it's become apparent to me in various ways that there, there are places and spaces where I've shown up including in law and ultimately then in, as a law professor, which happened some years after I started practicing. Um, and even in the military where, you know, I'm not the norm that folks expect when I come through the door um, in this body. And so that also was an aspect of what I knew I needed to figure out how to, how to deal with the different ways that people would react to me. Some of the ways that that would, you know, create a kind of an oppositional reactivity in, in my own self and, and, you know, not wanting that to get in the way of me being able to, you know, deploy these skills and uh, engage uh, in the world here. I really started intentionally looking for some kind of support. And that's when I started looking at what ultimately became mindfulness um, and what ultimately became a community of mindfulness uh, practicing lawyers, actually, <laughs> lawyers, um, a judge or two, uh, that has become, that's been one of my main communities of practice and development of what um, is now uh, a committed um, daily, regular, I want to say daily, almost, you know, moment to moment practice of mindfulness, <laughs> but also, you know, for me personally, underneath that, um, a long life commitment to the study of Buddhism 
And, um, and I've been integrating then some of the teachings and philosophies of that into my main day job, which still is uh, working as a law professor. And so it's, it's from that place of teaching law. I teach classes around personal injury law, tort law is what they call it. But I also teach classes around race and racism. And it became clear to me at some point that the practices that I've been relying on to help me sustain in this you know, mixed up world might also be of benefit to my students seeking to study law generally, but also in particular to study about our history of race and racism under law in the United States and the different ways we've struggled, every generation, you might say, to try to redress some of the ways that racism has gotten in the way of multicultural, multiracial democracy. Um, and so that's kind of what got me to kind of here, having written the book and now being um, you know, fortunate to be a part of a growing um, transnational community of folks interested in really uh, deploying mindfulness, not only for ourselves, but in this kind of external engagement with some of the hardest problems of our time. Why do you think that is, Rhonda? If you can just like, you know, I mean, just so, yeah, why would mindfulness help in these communities? Like what, like yeah. what's the benefit of mindfulness? Well, you know, I, so when I speak about um, engaging mindfulness in these hardest challenges, um, I'm really inviting everyone in all communities, right, to be thinking about these dynamics that I'm describing, this ten the temptations that are everywhere in various forms. They look different depending on where we are and, you know, the particularities of our situation. But the temptation and tendencies to identify folks as our in-group and other people as our out-group. And then to kind of um, create these hierarchies of value, of worth, um, of openness, right? Um, circles of empathic and compassionate concern, right? That kind of allow us to feel and care for certain folks and frankly, turn a blind eye to the suffering of, of others. So those kinds of hierarchies of value, which again, look different in different places, but in the United States are often characterized by some notions of gender, right? And who matters and who doesn't around that and how to orient and perform our way into some sense of comfort around that. Notions of race are intersected with that. And again, age, and there are other characteristics, of course, but for purposes of this conversation, just to kind of name that all of us in a body have some um, socially uh, mediated trainings around, especially in the United States, this I, the identities and identifications and hierarchies that comprise race, that make up what we think of as race. Everybody has some embodied experience around it. And so when I speak about bringing mindfulness in, it really is for all of us or any of us to deepen our ability to, to kind of shine that um, perceptive, uh, the perceptive capacities of mindfulness, the ability to perceive and to see and to know and to be more present to, right? To bring that part uh, of those skills or those capacities specifically to the part of our experience that is giving us information 
about how race is, might matter, how race is embedded in our experience and in our interactions with others. And that's something that I found to be kind of challenging, right? Because it may be more or less obvious to us that race is a feature of our lives. And so um, to become aware, right? Which is of course at the heart of what mindfulness is about. Mindfulness is about, right? Is um, John just so beautifully guided us in experiencing. It's about becoming aware uh, on purpose, right? Uh, with a certain kind of friendly openness to what might be there, whether it's the experience of the physical sensations of the body in a chair, the breath flowing in and out, the thoughts that come and go, emotions that come and go. And when we, just to talk about race in our world, automatically, whether we're aware of it or not, thoughts, emotions, predispositions, felt sense in the body, memories of interactions, jokes, right? It's all here. And so bringing, allowing mindfulness to just be that kind of, I think of mindfulness as like a friendly support for becoming more aware of how we relate to all things in our lives, including these experiences of social identity that have race as a part of it, although not the whole of it. But just to say that is one aspect that we can learn more about by shining the light of mindfulness on it. Sure. Yeah. And having, having, having conversations like this, I mean, that, like you said, even, even coming into this conversation, when it was just Will and I talking before, um, it's not lost on us that we're two white men, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we're talking about racial justice and, and what that, the emotions that that causes um, in, in us. Um, and in your book, you state, uh, the temptation to feel we are somehow so evolved that we don't mm. need to examine race in our lives. Um, that's, you know, that that's something that some people talk about. They're like, well, the, the way that we get around race is we stop seeing each other in, in our different colors, our different genders. If we're talking about gender equality, yeah, yeah. which is that that's not that's not how it happens. Right. It's it's by having these open discussions, having these uncomfortable discussions. And that uh, um, illuminates the blind spots that we're not personally aware of. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I remember the first time when I read your book and, and you go through your relationship at the beginning of uh, your boyfriend and oh, yeah. uh, we, we automatically, I mean, my blind spot kicked in here. I automatically assumed that that was a black boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I felt awful, honestly, after, after reading that. And, and then that, again, just shows you how we may think that we are, quote unquote, not racist, um, but we have these blind spots. And by having conversations and, and seeing color rather than not seeing color, we're actually able to heal both ourselves and the community. So I'm, I'm thrilled that you have the, the book out there. I'm thrilled, thrilled that you are doing what you're doing. Uh, but I, I want to talk um, uh, about specific, a couple specific items. Obviously, last last year when we spoke, we were fresh off the the George Floyd murder, mm -hmm. and now we've got Dante Wright in the in the news, and of course, uh, racial injustice goes way deeper than what we've seen in the news, and goes back way further than this. Two questions that I have specifically about 
law enforcement and racial justice. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, for the for people of color, um, how can mindfulness help heal what they're seeing and what they're feeling right now after seeing what they've seen on the news? And then flip that for law enforcement. How can mindfulness help to deal with the stressors of being a law enforcement officer mm-hmm. um, and then better to com- connect with the communities that they're serving? Yeah. Well, thank you so much uh, for the honor of these really good questions. <laughs> um, yeah. And also from some of, for some of what you shared and just the framing uh, of, the, of this question about um, really opening to seeing how seeing race is an aspect of kind of becoming more able to deal with racism. And I just want to name that it's, for me, it's, it's, it's really inviting us into this kind of more richly complex, which of course, as human beings, we're so much more capable of dealing with complexity, and we do all the time, than we give ourselves credit for. And so there's this complexity around seeing race on the one hand, but also letting it go when we don't need to see it, right? So it's at, it's at both and that we're mm. talking about, right? Um, and that I think is one of, that's a, a way also of segueing into the answer to your precise question. How is it that these practices can assist us, whether for on, on the one hand we are, um, you know, BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, or other people of color. That's what we mean by BIPOC, by the way. Um, <laughs> People are like, what is this thing by <laughs> Who are we talking about? But um, uh, whether we are, um, and it's just a shorthand, right, for, for some cat pointing toward in, in an invitation to talk further about this category. But whether we're um, folks of color and we're experiencing seeing video after video or, you know, these various reminders that um, of, of our let's say, hyper-visibility and at the same time, invisibility in the world, right? We're both hyper-visible sometimes, uh, mm-hmm. actually in encounters with police, but then our long, like, um, very everydayness, our everyday contributions, our everyday being here, our everyday contributions are often invisible. And so, and that's, its own kind of distressing reality to say, wait, I've been here. I've been trying to make a country. I'm trying to be seen. I've been trying to do, you know, do good in the world. None of that gets seen, but here we get reminded over and over again of these painful encounters and the painful projections that get placed on bodies like mine or like my brothers. And so, yeah, being aware of that and seeing, you know, the evidence of things often not seen, frankly. I mean, in my own experience, I've had some encounters, a couple of encounters with, with police, you know, in traffic stops, really, actually, thank goodness, only, um, that have turned out well enough that I'm here. Uh, so I'm not having everyday experiences like what we saw with George Floyd or Dante Wright. Thank goodness, or I haven't. But having watched these videos, it's as if I have. Mm-hmm. And it is, um, so bringing mindfulness to how to relate to that is an everyday practice, right? It's, again, my whole effort here is to sort of normalize this idea that, you know, these racial experiences 
are kind of part of our everyday life. We're in the in swimming in in America in the United States, whether it's on our video feed, our our social media feed, right? We're uh, the news we read, what conversations we're having, it comes up. Politics is coming up, and so for me, mindfulness is right there to meet it when it comes up. And by it, I mean the various, very subtle social, psychological, cultural kind of. Um, ways that we construct a sense of the self that has some racial content, right? So we're always constructing the sense of the self, as we know. Mm -hmm. We're kind of rewarded and punished and our society is giving us cues all the time about what kind of self is acceptable and where and how we should be, what should we, we should talk about, how we should present ourselves. And there's some racial content in that for all of us actually. And so mindfulness is about relating, how do we relate to that content? And so if it's, the feed that's reminding me of the pain of how bodies that look like mine might be read as a threat by cops or even by other folks who don't know me, right? If I'm trying to deal with that, that has some emotional content to it. Like that's a, that that's hurtful for me to to even think that thought. Like, oh, if I didn't know John or if I didn't know Will and they saw me in the street and I happen to be wearing a hoodie or whatever, they might suddenly, you know, react in a certain kind of way. Mm. Um, may not give me the chance. If I didn't know John, if I didn't know Will, and I showed up to rent a place from them, let's say, um, they might have a bunch of thoughts about, about just on site um, and vice versa, right? If I didn't know the two of you, I might have some fear. So, reckoning is all of that. <laughs> right. We live, we live in a world. And so mindfulness for me can help me notice the thoughts that the fearful thoughts and the emotion underneath or intertwined with the thoughts that come up when I'm reflecting on this information. Similarly, for police officers or others who are, you know, bearing up with the stress of policing and working um, on the front lines of some of these um, conflicts in our communities. Um, mindfulness, again, can help us notice when we are get, sort of forming a sense of self that is maybe hyper defended because we happen to be in a certain block, mm -hmm. hyper defended because we've seen a body that tracks in our social psychological categories, right? The categories we call stereotypes that tracks in ways that trigger, you know, narratives of, of danger, stories we tell ourselves about certain people being more dangerous. Being, again, open to noticing, what, noticing like in a very, in the granular way, oh, there's that thought. And there's, there's that, or, or before the thought, there's that tightness in the shoulders or that feeling, right, of like, mm -hmm. and look around. That's mindfulness in action to support us in navigating these waters wherever we enter them. Oh, thank you. And you, you talked about, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and again, let me just say that I think it, mindfulness is, is, is available for that, but it doesn't automatically do that. In other mm -hmm. words, the right. trainings around what to pay attention to and what not to are very deep. And, and sure. they're very deep around, around race, and they're different for me than they are for you. 
right? So the question mm -hmm. always is, yeah, what what is that um, training for me? Like, and, and what I mean by training, I mean very subtle, right? Social training about what you should pay attention to, what you should pay attention to, what you should not, what you should talk about, what you should not. That you, like, I've got training around, it's okay to talk about race at home because, you know, as Black folk in America, we've got this whole history, we've been involved in a struggle. But if you're in another background, if you're white racialized, you may have received some training about, well, you can talk about it, but only talk about it in this way. Don't raise this. We might get into some some conflict in the family if we talk about it this way or in our friendship circles or in our relationships. And so that's what I mean by training. And it's very often very, very subtle. Um, yeah. It's not always subtle, but it's sometimes, <clears throat> so bringing mindfulness in can really help. But in my view, we have to decide we want to bring mindfulness in. That, yeah. Well, that's what, that's where, like, uh, when you're talking about this, it's like, you know, John and I have this platform that we're super excited to, you know, bring more mindfulness to everybody um, and really starts turning some heads, you know, in, in this direction in order to, you know, I love that you, you say the word embody. Like, we kind of forget, like, I think so many people that we're, we're just all in our mind all the time, where so much of um, our biases, the way we think and act and uh, come from that feeling realm. And which is so important to get in touch with. But one thing, I, and I think, um, and you might feel as Rhonda as well as John, like, you know, m bringing mindfulness to more people is kind of this uphill, I don't like to say, I'll say battle, but it's just like, hey, like this stuff could really make a, a massive impact in your life. You know, so um, how, do, how do we, um, I, I don't know, the question is, it's like, it's, it's wonderful to have you know, to, to, to work in this way, but, uh, uh, but then how, but just even to get to mindfulness seems to be, uh, a, a, a troubling or difficult in some ways. And, and, and then that'll help us take, get, take that deeper, uh, reflection into these biases and stuff. And yeah. I, I don't know if I really have a question, but like, I just feel like there's this like conundrum in some ways, cause it's just like, well, shit, like there's only, you know, maybe 30% of the population that has begun to really look at mindfulness as an excellent tool for transformation in all aspects of their lives. So I was wondering if you can comment on that. Yeah, Will. But Will. <laughs> Bring in the heat, Rhonda. Right, well, I'm just that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. I'm just, <laughs> time. You're um, awesome. Right? These precious moments. Yes, making yes. The most, making the most of them. No, I mean, but also, I just want to say, it's all in the framing. I mean, to say that only 30% is I'm, I'm just, I'm Probably I should not throw a number on it, Rhonda. But, no, but you know, that's I'm just me. 30% yeah. is actually not small. <laughs> yeah, no, right, right, right. Right? Let's just say that. So uh, it's amazing, actually, the degree to which there is openness to conversations around mindfulness. And, right, there's a lot of room to grow in that. That's, that's right. true. That's like, you know, that's true. Um, and I will say... In, in addition to just the general kind of um, openness or not to mindfulness as a support for being in the world, there's an additional kind of edge around is it even how does it relate to this work that we're talking about in particular? Because some folks are kind of like, okay, I'm maybe okay with mindfulness, but wait a minute, isn't it going to maybe get in the way of me trying to make the world a better place? Is it going to pacify me in some way? Is it going to just make me able to just sort of make myself comfortable 
with what is, right? Because isn't mindfulness about kind of letting go and being with, right? And yeah. right, finding your equanimity and things. Yeah, accept and yes. surrender, yes. right? Yeah. Right. So, so, but it's not only, but it's it's that and it mm. is so again, it's such a rich, what I call like inner technology or infrastructure for dealing with complexity. And I think that's really one of the interesting things about mindfulness and the movement to bring mindfulness in the world and the different reactions and different levels of receptivity. You know, part of what we're doing is inviting a deeper way of being with life. And it's not that we're not naturally deep people, but I will say that, you know, we live in a culture that has a, a, a stake in this like a stake in us not seeing clearly, right? I mean, you know, and there are many different stakes. There's economic stakes, there's political, right? It's not like we live in a world that's not in a way invested in in controlling our attention in so many ways that we're becoming more aware of with the technological revolution, et cetera. Mm. So this capacity to bring your attention Take it back from a wandering mind and to center it on that which you choose to center it on is precious, right? And and other people know this. They're making, right, making fortunes off of this. We ourselves need to remember this. But once you do, there's such a great personal power in that, right? And that ability to kind of bring your attention back and then to choose to place it on this when the world is saying, don't look at that, don't look at that. Or to choose to place it with some openness to complexity on this. Like, so if we look at race, in a way we're invited right now in the post-George Floyd time era to see race. But then the question is, how are we invited to see it? Are there like narrow narratives and stories about you're the privileged person, I'm the disadvantaged person, always you got to check your privilege. I have to, you know, I must speak first all the time. You must, you know, as a white man, take a backseat. There are, there are these new stories mm-hmm. that are, I think are offered to try to help us, but they too can become um, a barrier to freedom. You know, they yeah. too can become like a fixed place, a new Right. A new like story that's getting in the way of us actually seeing our radical ability to meet in the space of our, you know, our humanity, you know, what we're feeling in this moment, Uh, our, our mutual desires to be well, our mutual desires to have our basic needs met and to love and to have some joy in being in conversation and being in life together. There are so many rich, beautiful ways that we could be connecting more and better right here, right now in the world that we're all mm-hmm. missing out on because of all this stuff. And if, and that's always been true in, in our culture and in all the cultures. I mean, to me, this is a conversation that's kind of has a U.S. specific piece to it. But if you open up the aperture, of course, you know, humankind has been at this business of us and them and hierarchy and you matter and you I can't talk to you and I certainly can't love you and I can't care about your suffering because you got to hear about mine. We've been at this for so long and so exhausting and we have suffered so much. This is why um, it's it's become my life's 
you know, I feel like it's my life's passion, but also just that in a way, the natural evolution of my own mindfulness practice, the deep mindfulness practice that says, I'm just here for life. I'm here for life. And there's excess suffering where there's excess suffering. I'm here to bring shine a kind of compassionate light on that. That comes yeah. from realizing that we're all interconnected. And your mm-hmm. suffering in some way is going to impact me. I, mine will impact you, whether we are aware of it or not. Don't we want to take actions to minimize this suffering so we can get on with living with freedom and joy? And that's where um, it, it comes together for me. But it is complex. And it, that's why I think, you know, often we're presented with mindfulness as if it's just as easy, you know, it's just going to make life easier. Well, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. real. And yes, that's a that great happens. way to put it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, like I'd love to kind of bounce off of that in, in your book and also in the, the group podcast that we uh, were talking about before the show. You talk about the RAIN practice, R-A-I-N. Yes. Could, could you explain to our viewers and listeners what that is and, and how that came to be? Yeah. So RAIN is a teaching acronym. A lot of mindfulness teachers have relied on it, actually. Michelle McDonald has Tara <laughs> Brock, right? So it's a common mm-hmm. Um, And I have adapted this to, as a, to kind of ca- encapsulate <clears throat> or summarize, if you will, what mindfulness can offer us as a kind of a daily life support for you know, processing different, you know, aspects of how we're relating to to what comes up. And so when it comes to race, you know, this RAIN acronym, which it's R-A-I-N, and the R stands for recognize. So, you know, someone has, makes a comment in the middle of a meeting that we feel has some unexplored racial content and it's gonna like land and start triggering a bunch of like unhelpful narratives about certain types of people. It could be a comment about, you know, how certain people from certain cultural backgrounds are or are not well suited or trained for this kind of study or this kind of practice. Or so a comment could be made. It could be considered what we in the common vernacular describe as a microaggression. Right. This is. Uh, a, a word that uh, social psychologists developed in the 1970s and it's just become popular these days to describe these subtle, often unintended um, things that, that, that carry some disrespect or disregard or slight uh, that's about, uh, that lands differently on pe- people based on their social identities. So this this kind of thing where a comment is made that, you know, Sounds innocuous to some, but for others, it's like, "Woo, that is, I, I what? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I heard a reference to something that sounded like a slight there. That can happen. And so recognizing, you know, if someone says something that suggests, you know, women of color don't belong in teaching math, let's say. Somehow women are just not well suited for math. We just know this, you know, this kind of thing. Which can happen in an academic setting or in a business setting. It can happen places. Sure. Right? Um, hearing that, recognizing that, oh, wait a minute. Maybe when I said that, I didn't mean it to land that way. But I, 
if I'm paying attention, I might have just noticed the air get sucked out of the room. I might have just noticed my certain of my colleagues looking around at each other like, wait, what? Who just did they just say that? So, right, recognizing as a first approximation to what mindfulness calls us to in the world. It's like noticing not just our own thoughts, emotions, and sensations, but this social mindfulness. What just happened in this space? Right. And how is it that that statement that maybe I didn't mean it that way, but how is it impacting? Minding the gap between intention and intent and impact is a way that we can bring mindfulness into our social engagements. Right. So then are recognized a except for the moment that this is what we're dealing with. So it just in other words, rather than saying, you know, immediately going into denial. Wait, this isn't this isn't a micro. Who I didn't mean Right. <laughs> rather than go into how dare you say, I mean, ah, rather than go into all of that, pausing and accepting just for the moment, the information that's being presented in this multicultural, multiracial setting. I've just said something that is that did not land in the way that I had hoped it, whether I intended it differently or not, is not the most important thing to see when we're just trying to accept information being presented about how our behavior is impacting others. So it's, A, it's just about accepting for the moment how things are, or it could be just accepting for the moment, yes, here's another video of a shooting that just came up on my social feed that if I'm not careful can make me quite depressed for the rest of the day. Hmm. So I saw that, I, I accept that it is there, it's happened. I'm not gonna push it away, but that accepting doesn't mean we're going to, for all time, hold on to it either. It just means I'm not going to be at war with the realities of my life. Okay? So as we accept, then we can investigate our AI. I is for investigating. And with investigating, we're inviting inquiry into one simple approximation. And this investigation can be many aspects. It has a lot of depth to it. But one shorthand for what we might do is just notice, all right, I've recognized a microaggression or this video feed is triggering me or whatever it is. I've accepted that that's a piece of information for me to, to explore. I investigate. What are some of the, often I say thoughts, emotions, and sensations. I think that was the way I was trained to think of it in that sort of shorthand. Mm -hmm. Really, I think sensations in the body is the place to go first. When we recognize and accept, it's like, notice what's happening in your body. Mm -hmm. Am I, do I feel a wall of defendedness coming up around my heart? Do I feel my heart beating, anxiety in the pit of my stomach, right? So feel like what's happening as a result of me seeing this feed? What's happening as a result of me <clears throat> hearing microaggression and like thinking of it as a microaggression and wanting to defend or wanting to call it out? Notice the body sensation. What's underneath that in terms of emotions? Is there anger? Anger? Hmm. Okay, name it. Just name it. You don't have to act. Mm -hmm. Some of us are afraid of anger because we think it's necessarily going to trigger violence. It's not. It's just it's energy and information. <clears throat> it's a feeling <clears throat> that doesn't mean anything in terms of what you may act on <clears throat> if we're mindful. So if we're mindful, we can be open to any emotion without feeling that we have, we're going to automatically react on it, right? So in that investigation space, you can notice bodily sensations, 
emotions and thoughts that are associated with what we've recognized and what we've accepted. And as we do that, ha, we can open up. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice gets like this when I start talking about things that me. You're good. You're good. All good. Pardon me. So if, once we open up to, all, to this, pausing long enough to see all of that happen, for me at least, check it out for ourselves, what can then open up is a field of, of a sense of choice. Like, how do I want to respond rather than automatically react to this? Do I just want to pause if somebody's saying, oh, what I heard there sounded like a microaggression? Or do I just want to pause with this video feed and just notice how I'm getting into reactivity and starting to, what my what the, my students would call doom scrolling? <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> what next? Who else is talking about this? Am I noticing that? Can I just pause and say, all right, I've seen that. I've seen the headline for that video. I don't even necessarily want to see the video right now. Why? Because I want to choose how I want to engage in this. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'll never see it. Because I do think it's important for us to be thoughtful about how we want to take this information in. But thoughtful about how to take it in means choosing. I don't have to just imbibe a kind of a fire hose of information about this latest tragedy. Pausing, investigating, noticing I have choice, and, um, and then discerning some, you know, just for now, way of responding to what we have noticed that comes from that place of our deeper intentions, our deeper sense of reality, our desire to be well and to help each other's be well. And then, so we move into the next moment from this place of, you know, in, R-A-I, I investigate in, non-attachment, it's like, I saw that, I experienced that, I let go for now, I'm open to the next moment. What do I do now? Thank you, Rhonda. So, and also, I like the N as well, it stands for non-identity, too, I've heard. So, I mean, not only attaching from it, but we don't need to identify ourselves or continually identify ourselves with those feelings, with those thoughts, with, with that label. You know? Exactly. Um, which yeah, brings all those things as well. And that's like, and that's, again, this is so much of what mindfulness is. And we're talking, basically, we're talking essentially about a mindfulness practice as a means to, you know, I use that practice with my students in order to help them just get in touch emotionally or just get in touch with the moment and, and how they're, you know, their feelings or their thoughts. And, but to use it as, as a tool for, um, to understand racism, like actually embodied racism, you know, I think is really the core here. Cause like how we feel is, is dictates often and even without us knowing how we act and, and what we and, and how we're thinking and then acting and feeling and, and thinking and it's just like this nonstop cycle. But to take that pause, right, with rain and really sit and investigate, um, this is when transformation happens. I mean, for any mindfulness student, but I, I love that you're bringing it in to in this racial context because it's it's really how things are going to transform when we begin to take that light of. Of, of the world or, or ourselves and then turn it on the inside. And that's that, like that flashlight of, of aware, of awareness that, that, that mindfulness is. Yes. So thank you for, for, for bringing that to us and, and, and also teaching it as well in such a way that can help us understand in, in like a kind way and not feel like you're threatened, you know, but, yeah. but it's like an opportunity, right. Instead of being like, mm, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be, it's like, 
and say, hey, we can help each other yes. with this. Yes. So important. So important. Thank you, Rhonda. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And just to amplify, yeah, non-attachment, non-identity. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we create a sense of identity? Often it's these subtle ways we attach, right? We right. Say, right? right? So how, where does that identity come from? It's like, oh, yeah, I like to feel strong. I like to feel a part of the included bunch. I like to feel... So just noticing that the attachments that create an identity yeah. around, I am now the person who saw microaggression and now I'm going to go teach and now I'm going to make sure you don't. It's like, no, 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 no. We don't want to identify, right, with a new story of me, mm. my. So that's where that letting go is a practice. Right. To I, and not, I, I, and it doesn't mean like, you know, um, what's the word? It doesn't mean, um, again, avoiding. It doesn't mean that we are, you know, not going to engage around this, but it, 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 so it's subtle, right? It's about just not infusing this awareness that you have with a new sense of me, that an yeah. ego, right? Mm-hmm. That can actually then reinforce these troubles. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Rhonda. <laughs> Thank so you. I, I would love to, uh, we talked about this when I interviewed you on the Veterans Path podcast. Um, Taking the rain practice a little uh, for kind of an anecdotal example, because that's redundant. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> going into the uh, the one student, I think his name was Dan, yes. who had asked you, uh, he wanted to write his thesis on the Rodney King beating and how it was justified in his opinion. Yes. And I would love to unpack that through your eyes using the rain method and and how you dealt with that and then and then for the audience who's not aware of that situation if you could just explain exactly what yeah. happened there and then where where it went yes and and by the way um this is an excerpt from my book that's been um made available i think on um mindfulness.com Tricycle also published, did me the honor of publishing an excerpt, a different kind of excerpt. But they're both, I think, helping make available for those who aren't ready to invest in a book, (laughs) uh, some of these aspects uh, from my book. But yeah, the experience with one of my students um, that I called Dan was where, yeah, he had named in the seminar class that his intention was to write a paper in which he would argue and prove that um, the Rodney King beating was justified. And this was something he just put out there in this, you know, seminar space, which was comprised of a group of, you know, young, youngish people and law students um, from a variety of backgrounds. Um, Many people of color and many who have had, um, who had had experiences with the police that were threatening and violent. So just for him to say that in that way, again, for me, first of all, when he said it, I could feel in my body, recognize, just in the hearing of this, oh, wait, wait, wow, I am feeling reactive to this. I'm, I, I, am, I am too right now, hearing what it's like, oh my God. <laughs> you just want to go like, what? Um, I know. Are we, are we the same planet? Like, anyway, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and that you would just drop that here and ears, right? So both reacted for myself, but again, that social dynamic. It's It wasn't like we were just having a one-on-one conversation. 
This is something in a small a group of you know people who are you know working with racism and law and trying to figure out a role for themselves, but also carrying their own traumas and experiences and you know embedded in neighborhoods where this is real. So it's that again mindfulness for recognizing our own inner experience. For me, it was oh my goodness, I'm feeling myself get angry just hearing this, right? So recognize, um, except for the moment, the bodily sensations of reactivity. It was anger. It was also, again, usually when we, we name a, a, a reaction, there's more. <laughs> so the complexity of our reactions are often is often underappreciated. Or we know they're complex, but we haven't been given space and time and support to name some of the complexities. So there was anger there, but there was also, I'm sure, fear, because where is this coming from? Where might this go? I mean, is this a person that I might not personally feel safe around? And you know, if I meet him, meet him on the street at night, I don't know if you would have this view. Um, also, just a sense of the kind of fear, anxiety, that complex that we call anxiety, that can happen when you're supposedly in charge of a conversation as a teacher, as I was in that space. And I could imagine this not going well as an experience for my students. And that sense of lack of control, where is this going, right? Which is, you know, we don't, none of us likes to feel. So there was a complex of things opening up there. And I'm just naming a few of the dimensions. Um, but having a mindfulness practice that enabled me to, to pause and you can do this very quickly. I'm using a lot of words to describe something that really was happening in seconds, if sure. that, nanoseconds. Pausing, accepting for the moment. Yeah, this is, whoo, this is one of those moments. But then <laughs> inviting, right, um, that shift in, the, in that investigative stance of what else is here? Well, the ground is here beneath me as a support. Let me just take in my breath. Let me just take a deep breath. Huh. I have now accessed a sense of a greater space from which to make some choices. I don't have to automatically react, you know, thunderously sort of respond in kind of some argument about why he's just wrong or whatever, right? I can instead choose to sort of hold my space as a facilitator, as an instructor there, um, and create a bridge from this moment to a way of working with things that we find reactive, which is what I somehow managed to do. This was some years ago. Exactly how I did it, you know, I, I'll leave folks to read the fuller story, but let's say that ultimately this became a bridge into one-on-one um, -on -one conversations with Dan, a way of acknowledging what had just happened in the room and that we would continue to be talking about First of all, how to think about a paper like this in a scholarly way, but really how to appreciate the range of different um, prior experiences and emotions that might be traveling with a sense that this is an argument we might want to make. And so ultimately, this opened us up to a semester long conversation, the end of which I learned, uh, or not at the end, but at a certain point, I learned from Dan actually that I was the only other, he'd only ever had one other black professor in his life. Uh, it was only one other black woman. And in that prior class, many years ago, uh, by then, at least you know five years ago or so, he had 
had an encounter around the Rodney King meeting with that black professor. She had shut him down in class mm. and he admitted ultimately that he was basically just replaying that. Just basically trying oh. to have had nothing wow. to do with the project. It didn't have to do with the right, the right. scholars, the agenda. It was an emotional wow. in a way that he was trying right. to work out again. All mm. of that can be happening anytime in any of our interactions. It might not, yeah. not, this is not to say this is always what's happening, but mindfulness can help us create the capacity to sort of really investigate and then um, move into our world with the strength and, and you know, the, the sense of groundedness that having done that successfully can give you, can give you to, to meet the next moment. Sure. It's a, it's a great example of how incredibly emotion, how incredibly powerful emotions are. I mean, this is like at his core, he's stepping up in class, in a law class, you know, with a diverse population speaking about or wanting to say he's doing, he wants to write a paper about this, you know, just to defend himself against something, a transgression that he felt happened years ago. I mean, <laughs> and how how is that, you know, these feelings, I mean, that's just one example of a person yes. and i guess he is, a, he is a white person i imagine right no, i mean asian american asian american asian american okay asian american mm-hmm. um you know how deeply you know uh these our feelings of race and racism are are uh, kind of keep us in uh, unless we become more mindful unless we get into this conversation to create more mindfulness unless we actually get around a more diverse population right and begin to see people for who they are uh, and hear what what they have to say. Uh, it, it, we're just constantly, typically, when race comes up, or you know, you you you're in an all white community, and you see a black person, and all of a sudden you're responding from this emotional place, which has been yes. learned and taught or programmed. And yes. uh, I mean, so just uh, I just wanted to say that because it's 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 amazing. I was waiting for the conclusion, like, did he write this paper? Like, what happened? Like, I want to know. Please tell me. Please no, he tell me. did, write, he did like, write it. It did wasn't didn't exactly. I'm sure it changed in right. some way. But he wrote it and then he admitted, even to the class, to me privately and then to the class, he learned much more about himself mm. and what, what was really driving all of this than he ever thought. Beautiful. Beautiful indeed. That was the exact word I was going to use, Will. Uh, wow. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we're coming up on the, the, uh, the hour here, Rhonda, and I want to be respectful of your time. Um, so I wanted to give your, you an opportunity to plug what it is you're working on, how people could get a hold of you if you if they needed to, and and then we'll go into the grounding practice and wrap it up. So how how can people get a hold of you if they had any questions, further questions, or they wanted to get uh, I don't know maybe you as a public speaker. Yeah. Oh, thank you. So you know you can always mm-hmm. find me at my website. I'm at rondavmcgee.com, um, and you can contact you know me or someone on my behalf um, through that. And um, I'm happy, more than happy to join with folks. I always feel like once we've had these rich conversations, then, you know, first of all, there's no accident, right? So if you're listening, if you found this podcast in for whatever way or how, no accidents. Um, And we're kind of, I feel like we're on this journey, right? And so I'm happy to kind of be in contact with folks with questions that might come up, um, and, and to present, um, in your organization, you know, offer teachings wherever it might be uh, in, of some benefit. Um, yeah. So I'd love to, I see there's questions in the chat, different things. There I are. 
Yeah. yeah. If there's anything you want to address there, I saw one uh, that was specifically about how to address people um, when you're when you don't know them or you're referencing somebody uh, that somebody else doesn't know. Yes. And their color is a part of their identity. How do you say? Yes. You know, a white white man, white boy, black boy, right. black girl, without sounding racist. Right. Yes, uh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, and it's it's not it's 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 one that I think we practice with. You know, the the all of these good questions, I can give you an answer, but it's always just going to be provisional. It's always going to have to come from your own place of your practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what works for you in my book as some of you may know I use I use I talk a lot about about the working with words you know and creating more yeah awareness that these are just words and we are all struggling to just find our way into some sort of way of being heard and hearing each other and so I do think we could all bring the temperature down just a little around our reactivity around like, did we use the right word or not? Because we're all kind of friendly. Um, that said, you know, in the book, I talk about this idea of racializing, like that I say, you know, folks racialized as white or racialized as black to underscore that we do this. It's, an, it's a verb. <laughs> it's not a biological reality. Um, mm. And so to see that someone is, um, you know, of a body that in our culture is read as white or of a body in a body that in our culture is read as black, that's a lot of words to, to capture mm-hmm. that. So I try to like say, whenever I use the, these terms of race, I'm pointing towards some aspect of our experience. I know that race is not a biological reality, according to the biologists and the anthropologists out there. But... Um, but it's real in our world. Like race is a real facet of how we meet and how we are met. So um, I think, you know, if we can get comfortable practicing with what that really means for us, the opening up of, of our minds, that those words that I just used are trying, that's trying to point toward that opening up. Then when we are in these engagements, we have to use these, these words, we might trip over them a little bit, but you know, hopefully we're creating that spacious awareness that we're just using language that is germane to helping us understand experiences in our culture today. But we know these words are not the whole story. And please forgive me if I use a word that in your own way of holding it, you know, lands in a way that you prefer me to use something else. Let's try to find ways to talk to each other, even though we know it's going to be clumsy. And we're going to you know, miss each other. But I think it's better to miss each other in trying than to miss each other in not trying at all. Mm, yeah, yeah. And absolutely. I think part of mindfulness is also that compassion, forgiving, you know what I mean, being patient are all the things that have come up for me. And you know, really, it is, right? And it's just like, so that's like, and that's how these conversations can take place. And a conversation is like, it's a dialogue of two different people. It's not just like my way, your way. Right. It's like there's a coming together. Con, right, means with, right? Conversation, right? So it's like you're coming together with and and the more mindful we are with each other, 
and the more open and mindfulness and meditation is going to help you become more patient, more yeah. listening, more compassionate, more empathetic. So hopefully, uh, I mean, with the growing rise of mindfulness, we've got start to see a dramatic shift in how we relate to race in this country as well yeah. and around the world for sure. And don't we all need to be met in our multitudes, right? In these ways that we are often not allowed to meet when we're reducing ourselves to a more narrow sense of identity. Exactly, right. So it's both being able to talk about these labels, but also being able to meet in our depth and our multitudes. That's, I think, the gift and invitation of mindfulness. It can be healing. And we all, I believe, at this time could use a little healing. So speaking of which, if we could turn to a little bit of closing practice. Yes, let's do it. Thank you, Ron. Let's do it. Ron is taking over the show, Ron. I love it. All right, Ron. If you say so, take us home. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a joy um, to talk with you. you. And so, what I invite for us three here and everyone who is within the hearing of my voice at this moment to pause and really allow yourself to come back home to the body in this moment, noticing as we invite this kind of uh, pause into mindfulness practice, perhaps the thoughts that have arisen, maybe some emotions that are up for you. And the invitation is to just notice those, roll out the kind of friendly welcome for that, that's there. Ha! Ah, but as we breathe in and out, gently allow, as you might allow, uh, sand to settle on the bottom of a lake floor. Just allow yourself to settle right here, right now, letting the thoughts subside, letting the emotions subside, and just resting in the next few moments in the sensations of your body, sitting and breathing right here, right now. So bringing the attention to the sensations of the in-breath or the out-breath, wherever you happen to find yourself right now, and continuing to follow along. But if you are noticing again some of the lingering emotion of this moment, some difficulty that's come up for you as you've been listening to this conversation or some way that some memory or some, something has come up that's not easy for you. I want to invite, as you sit and experience yourself breathing, really allowing yourself to gently embrace this difficulty that you're feeling. It might help to place one hand over the heart. Ah, or both hands over the heart or one over the heart and one over the just beneath the belly button. Just allow the support, the extra support of your own touch. These hands that have offered support to so many others, maybe they can imagine placing a hand on the back of a friend or in the hand of a loved one who needs it. We're placing this kind of gentle hand right here where we might benefit from it over our hearts. This nervous, really important nervous center beneath the belly button just my students say it's like giving ourselves a hug. So allowing ourselves 
in this way to bring compassion right in to the difficulties we have experienced in communicating with others, in connecting with others in our humanity, in truth around difficult topics around race and racism. So just resting in this space of loving embrace of your own experience, your own life in this moment. Well, as we prepare to shift out of this moment of meditation, I invite perhaps on the next in-breath, notice what is well within you as best you can. Feel your way into some aspect of this moment that is feeling peace or maybe connected, maybe it's a little bit of joy or just opening up to warmth and healing in some way. Whatever that feels like for you, breathing in and seeing if you can infuse the body with the sense of what is well right now. On the next in-breath and out-breath. And from this place, inviting, extending the sense of what is well. Imagine, almost just imagine you might just open up a zipper and allow that sense of what's well in you to kind of flow out to radiate outward. You don't necessarily have to direct it toward anyone, but just know that your own wellness is something that others can feel. Your own goodness is something that others can be healed by. So just see if you can imagine sitting in a way that embraces yourself with loving, heal, heal, like the wish for your own healing, the capacity to offer yourself a space for healing and the capacity you have to be a space around which others can experience healing too. So now gently invite kind of bringing this meditation to a close. And so in whatever way is useful to you, maybe maybe seeing if there's a word or a phrase that's coming up for you that you want to notice as a touchstone for this practice and this conversation. Something that might be a bit of a thread that as we move out of the meditation and when you're ready, opening the eyes if they've been closed. And, Maybe allowing the hands to come to a rest in whatever places are comfortable for you. Is there a word or a phrase as a touchstone you might carry from this moment of practice and reflection, this conversation? Thank you so much, my dear John and Will and everyone who's here. Thank you, Rhonda. Thank you. That was really beautiful, Rhonda. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you. Perfect. Uh, and a perfect way to wrap up the show. I'm not even going to add any more words. I'm just going to let it <laughs> rest right there. Uh, so much. Thank you so much, Rhonda. Um, we're going to wrap it up. If you would, if you have time to hang tight for a second after the outro, and we'll just uh, wrap it up personally one-on-one. -on -one. 
we're two on one. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Thank you so Rhonda. Much. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. And we'll catch you all soon. Thanks for joining Will and John on Men Talking Mindfulness. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share it with your friends and family. And please, we would appreciate a review too. Until next time, this has been Men Talking Mindfulness. Thanks for showing up.